0: Nat Cassidy, what is going on?
1: Hello, everybody, recording, in progress. Hello,
0: recording in progress. You can say whatever you want, though. You can say, Brent, fuck you, and I'll cut it out if you want. Wow, oh,
1: sorry. <laughs> so Got your back, bitch. <laughs> I can feel the tension. It's great. <laughs>
2: there's no tension. We all love each other.
0: Bren's my big bro. If there's anything you now or at any point... Don't want to talk about You don't have to explain the damn thing. Just let us know. I'll, I'll just go like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be very aggressive about it. <laughs> <I will cut. laughs>
2: bail, cut bail, it. abort.
0: No.
1: Oh. I'll be honest with you. I just like an hour or two ago shaved my facial hair for the first time in like 10 years. I was
0: going to say, definitely <laughs> so, looks different.
1: Yeah, I'm, I might just like... Sp- Stop responding and start staring at myself because it is very alarming. Um, <laughs> I get so, very
2: dapper though. Hey, thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it's
1: something. One. My uh, I don't <laughs> normally go without uh, at least something here because this is not a what the scientists would call a load bearing chin. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> never a chin described like that. <laughs> I feel very top heavy on my head right now. This is I, where all the hair is now. I it's I like Willy it. Willy was turned upside down.
0: And are you good? Do you want to get? Started? I'm good.
1: I'm good. We have got gold already.
0: Yeah. Welcome we'll do to we'll another reference. episode. Oh God, damn it, Brennan! Abort!
1: Abort! Cut this episode. <laughs> Dump it. Dump it.
0: Welcome to another episode of Deadhead Space. I am your host Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my friend Brennan Lafaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And our other friend Candice Nola, say hello, Candice. Hello. And we're talking to Nat Cassidy. Hello, Nat.
1: Hello, everybody. Long time listener, first time caller.
0: <laughs> and for those that uh, can't see and are just listening, Nat looks uh, looks kind of like the reverse evil twin brother. He has no facial hair. <laughs> it's I'm very the good twin. different. Yeah, the good. Yeah,
1: twin. it's weird. It's he. Uh, I don't know how long I'll do this. I had so, to do it for a gig.
0: <laughs> Let's just ask you the question that we would love to know is what got you into horror?
1: Oh man. Um, well, I've been in, I've I've been obsessed with horror basically as long as I've been a, a conscious entity, as far as I remember. Like it was just always a thing to get me to pay attention. I was um to put it delicately, I I was a real piece of shit kid. Like I was just like bouncing off the walls and, and always uh talking back to my teachers and literally like setting fires in the back of the classroom and, and whatnot. But they all kind of knew that a way to get me to pay attention was to talk about death or monsters or something like that. A story I often tell is like uh in my first grade uh I had a a teacher named Mrs. Shapiro. We fucking hated each other. We were just like, oh, we were mortal enemies. She was the first of several teachers who did not allow me to have a desk. And for good reason, because I would do horrible things with my desk. But I had to sit at her desk, and that was my desk, too. That was my writing surface. Uh, And uh, she even implemented this, like, red and green construction card uh, system with me that I would get, like, a red or a green card to take home to my mom every day to show if I was good or bad. And my mom would have to sign it uh, until I learned how to forge her signature. Uh, But so we absolutely detested each other. But then one day she was uh, she was Greek from Greece uh, and she was showing slides from a a recent trip to Greece that she had just taken. And she was showing uh, in the in the slideshow. It was uh, an amphitheater that she saw a production of Macbeth at. And she started telling I don't know why she started telling this group of first graders the plot of Macbeth. But to her credit, she noticed that I actually, like, started paying attention as soon as she started talking about regicide and witches and, and uh, murder and whatnot. And so she basically challenged me to read Macbeth for the rest of the year as a first grader. And because I hated her, I was like, well, of course I'm going to do that, you monster. Uh, and I did. Like, I it, it, it was not easy. It wasn't uh, fast. But, like, I committed myself to reading Macbeth. Uh, and I would read it with my mom. And she would help me with the words I didn't understand and stuff like that. Um, but that started my lifelong obsession with Shakespeare also. And I like very quickly thereafter, I was already kind of a precocious child actor anyway, but I very quickly thereafter just like went full whole hog into trying to do Shakespeare for at that point for the rest of my life. Uh, uh, Eventually I moved to New York and and fell out of love with Shakespeare. Uh, But uh, uh, the reason I bring that up is because even at that age, like if you told me that something was bloody and, and uh, and full of ghosts and witches and whatnot. Like I was in. Um, so I don't. Uh, to maybe hazard an even shorter answer. I don't know. I don't. It, it. Some of it is nature. Some of it is nurture. My mom was also a huge horror fan. So it was, you know, Stephen King all over the shelves and Anne Rice and Clive Barker. This was this was the eighties. It was it was the thing to read. Um, so I was just kind of I grew up with it around all the time. Uh, so some of it I think is just in my blood, and some of it is just like from a very early age that's just what i looked at is like what adult literature was because that's what my mom was reading um yeah and uh, uh i don't know some of it some of it, it's I, mostly it's just because it's the best genre I, I don't even need to do <laughs> it it's just the best fucking genre that's why i'm into it
0: yeah there you go so you're from arizona originally what I was am i don't know i've never been to that part of the world i don't know much besides i know the sisters of slaughter are are in that area so shout out to them. But uh, in all seriousness man what what was it like growing up as someone that was fo- like clearly driven to do artistic things because when i was growing up um it was uh, early aughts in middle school i remember i talked to m- one of my um uh god what do they called not the principal the um guidance uh, guidance counselor and he asked what I wanted to do and i said i uh growing up i always wanted to be like george lucas or, hmm. or or george romero kevin smith and um i said that's what i want to do i want to be a filmmaker and he said all right you got to go to new york or la and and even at that age I, not the right answer but i i, I was like i want to stay in new england you know i'm not a <laughs> member so doesn't make sense. But um, I'm wondering if you kind of had people growing up for the most part that just didn't see. Well, actually, I'm assuming. Did you know growing up that you definitely want to be in film or, tele- or television?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, actually, I wanted to do primarily theater. Theater was like my biggest passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I started to want to s- sort of like parlay that into film. Like when I was growing up, uh, I was... Uh, obsessed with Kenneth Branagh cuz his uh, Henry V had come out when I was like 8 uh and so I saw that I was already a, a massive Shakespeare like geek at that point uh and like that would that kind of made me first start thinking about film as a, as an artistic endeavor <laughs> um and then you know so I watched much ado and hamlet and, and all all those That's Kenneth awesome. Branagh uh films at the time and all like the Merchant Ivory films and stuff like that um <laughs> But for the most part, I was I was very much a kid out of out of time and out of location. Like, I really wish I had been born in like the 30s in London so I could be like Olivier or I could be like Gielgud or Burton or, you know, those those guys. Um, I really wanted to have a sort of classical theater based career that then spun off into movies. Um, and as you can imagine, that it was very much not a realistic It was a very anachronistic path to want to take. Um, So I would often get, you know, asked by people if I wanted to move to like LA or something like that. And I was always like, no, why would I want to do that? I want to move to New York. I want to pursue theater. And then I want that theater career to translate into some sort of film or TV uh, uh, career. Uh, But growing up in Arizona, it was, um, I mean, especially when I was growing up in the, in the eighties and nineties, like Phoenix was a desert in all definitions of the world of the word. Like it was, uh it was a literal desert. It's really fucking hot. Uh, and there's just cactus and mountains and dirt and scorpions. And that's just kind of it. Uh But it was also, there just wasn't a lot of, uh there wasn't a lot to Phoenix at the time. It was, I mean, it's a big city. Like it's easy to forget. It was, Now it's like the sixth largest city in the country or something like that. And when I was growing up, it was probably like, I don't know, the 12th, uh, maybe the 10th. But it's so spread out. It's it's such a massive footprint. And everything is just highways and concrete or literal desert, especially when I was growing up. So there just really weren't a lot of like opportunities to uh, to make much of a career as an artist. I did a lot of like theater and uh, uh, Like uh, local theater Regional theater uh, And stuff like that uh, growing up But um, similarly To to what you just described like It was always impressed upon me that You would need to move to one of the coastal Big cities to have any sort of Anything uh, if you really wanted to If you had ambition or something mm-hmm. like that
0: Yeah I just remember growing up that really I didn't know any people that really liked horror I didn't mm-hmm. really know then again i didn't really ask but i was a kid and no one else really talked about it and i didn't <laughs> i didn't really know anyone else that wanted to pursue art but i always yeah. had and uh, it just i'll tell you what i i don't i have no idea how it would change me or any of us if the internet existed how it is today back when we were growing up it's very mm. it's interesting to think about but um who is next brennan brennan
2: please take over sir sure let's talk uh Let's talk horror influences. Um, Let's do it. Now you had you had posted this really wonderful thing a couple months ago, and I remember seeing it and thinking, when he comes on, we got to talk about it. And you had talked about how growing up, you considered uh, Stephen King to write horror of the heart. Hmm. Uh, you went on Clive Barker, horror of the body. Peter Straub, horror of the memory. Richard Matheson, the gut. Uh, Ramsey Campbell, perception. Shirley Jackson, the mind. Um, and you know, you rattled off a couple of others and when you read a book like Mary and a book like Nestlings, there is a lot of genre influence. Like Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a lot of, you know, on the sleeve love for the history of the genre. So I'd kind of like to hear you just unpack that, but with a mind of, you know, how do you work that love and that history in, and still make it an original path, a, a book that comes out in 2023?
1: Hmm. Oh, that's such a great question. Um, yeah, I uh, I love horror with every fiber of my uh, art-consuming being. Like, it's just, as I've already said, like, it's all I usually ever want to read. It's all I want to watch or anything like that. Every I am of the opinion uh, and I've I've said this before, so forgive me if anyone has already heard me say this shit, but I am of the opinion that every good story is a horror story anyway, because uh, all horror ultimately means is that there are stakes and that the characters that you are hopefully uh, connected to have something to lose, whether it is, you know, uh, their love or a job or their arm or their head uh, or anything like that, or even just their understanding of the world. Uh, and their place in it. So uh, a horror story to me is just when that loss is, uh, is, is promised and or threatened. And the thing I love about, you know, capital H horror as a genre is that it's not afraid to, A, give you a a bad ending, a bum ending. Uh, it's not afraid to make that loss actually manifest. Uh, but that it's not it's also not afraid to take its metaphors and just kind of blow them up. Like if you're gonna do a metaphor, why not fucking do it one hundred and ten percent and have a werewolf there or something like that? Um so all of which is to say, like I have been always drawn to read horror uh, if we're if we're speaking in the context of of uh, of horror literature. And uh for for those not watching this, um I've got a bunch of bookshelves behind me that are like double or triple packed, uh mostly of uh, you know, what what Grady Hendrix and Will Erickson would call paperbacks <laughs> from hell. Uh <laughs> like I would just uh we didn't have a lot of money growing up, uh really any money. I was raised by a single mom who could only work part-time because she had MS. Um, so we had like basically no money. Uh and my primary outlet for entertainment was uh, uh, was either the library or a used bookstore. And I would walk, I would spend most of my time at either one of these places. Cause another thing about growing up in Arizona is you tend to uh, just hang out in the places that have air conditioning uh, and the blockbuster or the bookstore or the uh, uh, library would be places that, that you could actually <laughs> cool down. Um, and so I would just like wander up and down the shelves looking at these horror covers uh, and kind of falling in love with, um, with the art and what the stories were uh, kind of, what, what I would imagine the art was promising the stories would contain. Um, and, you know, eventually I was able to, uh, to read all of the ones that, uh, that I was, I was fascinated by, uh, which is kind of where that list that you read uh, Brennan came from. Uh, just these, these um, really prolific authors of that era uh, that I would spend most of my time with. I also, um, I grew up far away from all of my friends. I grew up outside of my school district, uh, and had to get special permission to go to the school that I went to, uh, which also meant that like, I spent most of my time that I wasn't at school, uh, totally by myself, uh, cause my mom was at work. My brother was older. And so he was usually like doing older kid stuff. And my friends were all just too fucking far away. And Arizona is not necessarily, or or the part in Arizona that I grew up in, uh, is not the sort of place where you like go walk to your friend's house. (laughs) Like it's really hot. You could die. Uh, It's really ill-advised to do that. Um, So especially like during the summer, I would just sit and read. And I would read these authors that I was fascinated by. I would read Ramsey Campbell and, and Anne Rice and Clive Barker and, and, Particularly Stephen King, who I became like more than obsessed with, um, and I uh, I would basically learn storytelling technique and what it even meant to tell a story through them, uh, and and through these you know sometimes bloated, sometimes cocaine fueled, very strange paperback novels from the eighties, um, and uh, so then to answer your question, like how do you how do you put that into a, a contemporary book? Um, the, the love is just kind of, uh, I feel like that's kind of unstoppable. That's basically my, my mother language. That'd be like saying, I, uh, you know, how do you write in English? Like to me, that's just <laughs> like how you write a book is you put all the shit that, uh, the books that you love gave you, and you just kind of put it back in there. Uh, you metabolize it, you digest it, and then you're just like, ah, there's what it means to me. Um, you know, it's, it's almost similar in a way to, we're going to bring it back to Shakespeare. Because uh, why not? Uh, it's it's like when you play a role that you're obsessed with, um, and you know, usually what that also means is that you've seen other people play it, you've read scholarship about it, you have watched uh, uh, you know archival footage of other uh, other other performances and stuff like that. Uh, and so you take all of that information and you put it through yourself as the filter. And what uh, what do I agree with? What choices did I agree with? What choices did I not agree with? What do I think would be more interesting to me uh, as a as a potential audience member or as a performer to uh, to embody? Um, and writing is very similar. Like all these uh, all these questions that you know Stephen King or Peter Straub or, or Ramsey Campbell or or whichever John Ferris, whichever one you want to throw at. Uh, at the wall, what were they kind of wrestling with? Well, put it through my own personal sieve and my own, you know, my own filter. And like, wh- what does that mean to me? Uh, and ideally as a, as an artist, you're, um, you're always kind of being responsive to your time also. Um, so that's, that's the ideal equation is that you're taking your influences and you're adding them to who you are in the present uh, I feel like I'm doing a fucking Ted talk right now. So forgive me. <laughs> this all feels very didactic. Um, but that, but that's, I hope I'm kind of stabbing at answering your question. Like that's like when I was writing Nestlings, I really wanted that to be like a 70s potboiler, like Rosemary's Baby, like Salem's A Lot, but I wanted it to be about 2023. Um, and, uh, or when I was writing Mary, I wanted it to be, you know, sort of an homage to Carrie, but I realized I set myself up for failure doing Carrie and Rosemary's Baby as uh, as comps, because those are both like 60,000 word novellas. They wouldn't even be released as horror novels. They're so tight uh, and structured and I'm writing these much longer uh, sort of uh, 80s-ish beasts. Uh, But you take the things that you love about those stories and you try and uh, figure out if there's something new that they can say, Uh, and just by virtue of, you know, reading so many contemporary works and stuff like that, like those also get thrown into the mix. Uh, and, and ultimately every thing that you write then should be, you know, it should serve multi-purpose. It should be a, an entertaining story. It should, it should be intelligent. It should, it should withhold scrutiny, uh, you know, uh, uh, analytical scrutiny, but it should also in a way be you, uh, saying to a reader, here's what this means to me in this moment. Uh, and, uh, yeah, most of the time, uh, I think it yields a, a pretty singular and, hopefully interesting result. That was a lot of word salad. I hope, I hope someone was diagramming that <laughs> sentence. Uh, uh, hope that made sense. It's, it's been a long
2: week and it's only Monday. Patrick is responsible for diagramming sentences. <laughs> it's going to come to out in an
0: ADHD funnel. So it will make sense to no one, including myself, but your <laughs> response was perfect, man. I was just, just listening. And this is, this isn't, you know, a lot of people listen to in audio form. This is perfect replies, so keep it up. <laughs> Candace, I feel like you were going to say something.
3: Yeah, I was. Um, all of that actually put me right where I wanted to uh, start with. Hmm.
2: Nestlings.
3: So that whole answer, I think, just ties right into what I wanted to ask. So you took all of your information. Influences from then, along with the experiences you've had now in mm-hmm. 2020, 2021. And I've read the book, I've read the afterword, so I know there's quite a lot of you in this mm-hmm. story. So I think maybe it's a twofold question here, if I can word this the right way. Was it hard for you to kind of space you from the story, but enough of your experiences went in it to give it the feel that you wanted Hmm. while being true to the story that you wanted to tell without giving too much of yourself in it, if that makes sense. Because I know we do take a lot of the things that we have went through and we add that into what we write because that's where the human experiences come from comes from where the emotions come from how hard was this for you to write without putting too much in it and were there times that you had to maybe step away
1: hmm. um that's a great question i uh I think on some level I particularly enjoy the process of uh, articulating what I'm going through or thinking about a certain thing or, or however you want to uh, put it um, into whatever I'm working on. So in a way, um, there was never an impulse to pull back. There was never an impulse to like uh, stop stop putting what i was going through into in this in this specific case into nestlings like Mm -hmm. it was almost the reverse it was almost like how much of what i'm going through can i actually put into this so i can kind of you know have that sort of cathartic feeling i've always just kind of been a sieve when it comes to the things that i write just like you know if this is happening to me then it's going into the book in one way or another and um it, it in a weird way for for those who have uh who have also read the the afterword of nestlings like they'll they'll know this is kind of a weird thing to say but in in a weird way it was almost fortuitous that i was going through this incredibly horrible period while i was writing that book um because i then had that book to process all this stuff um yes. like it it wound up being like the perfect story to uh, to kind of, uh, analyze what I was going through and to like put my worst impulses in, like, uh, just as an example, like the character of Reed, uh, who finds himself, uh, being a caretaker for his, his wife, who's dealing with postpartum depression. And, uh, she's also very recently become a, a paraplegic and, and is experiencing depression from that, you know, very justified, uh, uh, uh depression um but he's finding himself being a a caretaker uh for his partner who is you know changed and is different um and is is going through a really horrible time herself uh and i was also at that moment as a caretaker for my wife who was going through something very horrible and 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 very uh very drastic a huge change uh that was uh that was really upsetting her life in a in a number of meanings of that word um and so i got to You know, I was never like Reed, but I did have in some of my darkest moments thoughts that Reed has in the book. Uh, And instead of having to like, you know, suppress that or like uh, or or lie about it to myself, I was able to just like just puke it out onto the page and be like, okay, well, here's what would happen if I ever gave into those impulses. Uh, And spoiler, it's not great. Uh, uh, It's not ideal. At least we could say. Uh, and similarly, like I got to, uh, you know, kind of work on understanding what my wife was going through by by uh, writing the character of Anna and um, and uh, things like that. So like uh, and Mary was written while my mom was dying and um, I got to put a lot of her into the book, the book that I uh, am writing right now that I literally just sent the, the next draft of uh, to my editor this morning. Uh, is all about dads and my my uh, very complicated and strange feelings about my dad, who also died uh, uh, the same year my mom did, uh, and just like w- what do I think about the role of fatherhood and and how do I feel about uh, the idea of being a father and just you know all those things. Yeah. Um, the book I want to write after that is just all about like how I feel about my fucking phone and and addictive behavior and stuff like that. Um, all, so all of which is to say, like yeah, there's there's never really a moment. For me, at least, when I ever feel like I should pull back, it's always uh, meet going towards the material. To me, is part of the fun of it. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm almost repeating myself, but uh, that is it's very similar to how I feel about uh, being an actor and like acting work too. Like you find the things that you have in common with the character. And then you get to like, you know, pull them out of you a little bit, extrapolate them and and examine them. Uh, and then hopefully uh you change a little bit after after you write it or perform it or or whatever verb we're going with now.
3: Yeah, it makes sense.
0: I uh <clears throat> even before I knew for sure that there was influence by Ira Levin's Rosemary's Baby, I, I absolutely love that movie. Um cuz you know like there there's problematic very clearly problematic um scenarios between the husband and wife hmm. but like he you can tell i've never i don't obviously have never spoken to the man before i11 but you can tell that he's intelligent and he's just putting his observations down i mean that you can't say about every writer but with you you could tell like with frank um that's not <laughs> your sorry, I'm kind of throwing a lot of different things. We aren't um <laughs> we aren't every damn character we write, whether some people believe that or not, but like mm-hmm. I could tell whether you've experienced or not, I don't I'm I don't know for sure, but there are people like that and, and you can't just avoid them. So I thought that you as a writer, you um this might sound silly to say, but like you you took risks that I don't think everyone would take. And I'm really oh, glad you. that i'm really glad glad that night uh tour night fire uh publishes book because i i like when people kind of um take a step back and and you know honor those that came before us and you did that with stephen king and our Levin, amongst others so i don't really have a question here i just thought you did a really good job um thank you yeah we don't we don't really spoil books in this uh on the show as you know but um, I'm not going to. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> but it ends like <laughs> this. No, 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 I'm not going to. I should have said, but uh, I, I just wanted to say how you spawn a uh, well-known monster was very well done, and that I don't think that's easy to do nowadays because there are just so,
2: yeah. Many, yeah. so many,
0: damn books about that particular lore, and I, I don't yeah. know. I'm just, I'm just saying a whole lot of nice things, so I don't really have. A <laughs> I'll take them.
3: I you love don't have it. A question, huh? but yeah, um, just to add on to the not a question, but the statement with <laughs> the spin there.
0: We have no more questions.
3: I did <laughs> really, really enjoy that. I didn't see that coming mm. until it was there, and then I was like, that makes sense. I like where we're going with this, but then what it turned into It it all just worked, and I just thought it was great. I was like, well, this is a whole new twist I never would have thought of. So, yeah, like, well done on that note. (laughs) Again, another statement, not a question, with what Patrick was starting to say. Um, The character of Frank. Hmm. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Because... I mean, the truth is we write the truth, whether we call it fiction or not. It all has to have an element of truth in in there. And we all know horrible, despicable people that we've all had experiences with that have perceptions, beliefs, and ideals that we don't agree with or that we don't have. And I think in order for you to write a real story forgive the use of the word real when we're talking about fiction but in order for you to write a story that people can relate to you have to put real characters and real traits into Mm -hmm. the story everyone can't be a one-dimensional never say a bad word never say a slur never say this never people are not like that if the world was like that we would all be living off of sunshine and roses wouldn't we because (laughs) i mean you know be hunky dory yeah So yeah, Yeah. it it needs it. Any story needs those people that you just despise and you detest. And you need the people that are, you know, expendable. And you need your heroes as much as you need your, you know, your assholes. It's you need that. So he was well-written, and I think he needed to be in there as every bit as much as we needed read in there and Ana in there and everyone else. I mean, he had a purpose, whether we like it or not. We <laughs> all know somebody like Frank, and I, I just think we would be lying to ourselves and the world if every story we wrote didn't have a believable asshole in it because, I mean, how many do we face a day?
1: Mm. Yeah, especially you know? in New York City. Right. <laughs> I've but known many exist. Franks. Sorry, yeah. you
3: know, but those people exist. You can't write a story and ignore the fact that despicable people exist. It's just you know, yeah. it's just life.
1: Anyway. They, not only do they exist, but sometimes they hold like great great power in your life. They like, sure uh, do. Frank yeah. the character Frank is is their uh, the character's uh landlord before they move into yeah. a new building that that kick-starts it and like your landlord that, that's a that's a fucking touchy relationship sure and like, i've i've had several landlords who were not good people and, got one
3: now
0: yeah now, it's right awful
1: here. i'm so sorry to hear that
0: <laughs> don't uh, say that too loud <laughs>
1: yeah <exactly. laughs> uh but yeah like you know uh sometimes you just have to uh, uh compartmentalize some of the fucking things that they say because yeah. like they actually wield a lot of uh, power over your day-to-day life. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, I I I'm very gl- uh, glad and and uh, touched to to hear that because uh I wanted to make sure that there was somebody like Frank uh, in here yeah. especially with this book wrestling with things like uh feelings of isolation and uh, uh anti-semitism and and just kind of marginalization in general. Um mm. that kind of voice uh is never at zero, but especially these days, like it feels like it's extra loud. Um, and uh so there it needed to be represented uh in the yeah. cast of characters, as you say. Um yeah. so I appreciate that.
0: There's actually one more classic that I um I just thought about while you guys were talking. Robert Morasco's Burnt Offerings. Yeah.
1: I fucking love that book.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of that, and I I like the movie too. um Yeah,
1: that movie is wild.
0: Yeah, the book's (laughs) better, (laughs) but it is the reasons why for me how I felt it was relatable to Nestlings is because well, you know, the family dynamic, the dad's Mm. just like he's a dick, man. I mean, he, he they're just dicks. But also, it's it's what she did, and Brennan brings this up. I can't say a lot, but when we do talk about Making a town or an inanimate object a character, he he uh, he will be the one that kind of spearheads this conversation. So now it's my turn. Um, You do that really well with the Deptford, the apartment building. For those who haven't read it yet, it's a apartment building in like an upscale apartment building in New York, uh, Manhattan, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's fancy pantsy.
1: Very fancy pantsy
0: and it, it just reminds me of that house in, in burnt offerings or in rosemary's baby the entire building where is it's just like i i've been to manhattan twice and the last time I went i went with my wife and she specifically said don't talk to anyone don't be nice to anyone cuz they won't be nice to you and if someone offers you anything look i'm a big man child so i'm just putting that <laughs> out there if, anything, if anyone offers you anything don't take it you know hmm. she, she worried probably nicer than that but um, I feel like this building with all the weird, even even the like iron rock gates, the the weird Halloween smile. I've never heard it phrased like that before. The weird Halloween smile that the that the doorman has, like that shit wouldn't it, it wouldn't phase anyone. It's it's New York, so mm-hmm. I I thought that was perfect. But um, all this to say, I really like what you did with the Deptford. I'm wondering if there is true history with a building or, or certain buildings in New York that you pulled, um, events from for, for the nestlings.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for, uh, for all that. I, I love burnt offerings. Uh, mm. and I love, uh, <laughs> I love Rosemary's baby, obviously. Yeah. Um, and there, I mean, those are both like quintessential New York stories too. Sure. Ironically enough, both written by, uh, playwrights as well. Yeah. Uh, so we all share that in common as well. Uh, but they're um, they also are very well rosemary's baby less so but definitely burnt offerings uh is really class conscious too in a in a Mm. real way which is very uh you cannot uh divest economic class from a new york experience and like if you're gonna tell a new york story it's one of the it's one of the things that i think rosemary's baby kind of uh drops the ball on going into it doesn't suffer for because the book yeah. is not about that but like uh it it's rosemary's baby is more concerned with with guy woodhouse's ambitions as an actor and philotomy
0: uh, according to John, <laughs> <Chuck Yeah. Wright. laughs> uh
1: but but bert offerings really goes into what it's like to be to have no money in new york and to just like get this opportunity for something that you really want in this case a, a vacation home
2: mm.
1: uh and like the desperation and also the the fucking pride of just like, I'm not going to turn this down. I need, an- I've been cooped up in this awful fucking city in my tiny apartment. And I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to take my family to this vacation home or in Anna and Reed's ha- uh, case, we're going to take this luxury apartment that we won the lottery for. Um, and to 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 uh, bridge that further into your question about the Deptford Uh, What I did then was I, uh, you know, it was very of a theme with what we were already talking about because I I dug deep into myself for like all those things I wish my ideal New York apartment would have because I've been living in New York for about 20 years now, a a few months shy of of 20 years. And uh, so my whole adult life, I've been living in this stupid city Uh, and you really do like collect this laundry list of Uh, things you wish an apartment had and you never get all of them. Uh, And I've moved way more times than anybody should in the city. So like I've gone through apartment after apartment after apartment uh, and each one, like maybe had like one thing I liked about it. And then like 15 things that were not great about it. Um, And uh, so in some ways I was able to take, you know, every item on that checklist and just put it into the Deptford and be like, what would be the, what would be the most dangerous honeypot for me? Like if this apartment had all these things, would I ever be able to say no to it? Um, and then I also, uh, uh, I pulled a lot of um, other famous buildings, all of which exist in, in the world of Nestlings. So Nestlings isn't like an alternate universe where the Dakota doesn't exist, but the Deptford is kind of like, the building above all of those. Hmm. Uh, so I took some elements from the Dakota, some from another building called the Ansonia, which is very, uh, very similar to the Dakota, uh, hotel des artis. Um, uh, what are some other ones? Uh, uh, the Beresford, uh, and then also took, uh, the Bramford from Rosemary's baby. So that also exists in this world. This is a little fun, uh, uh, Easter egg. I didn't even uh, put that
0: together. Nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's in universe. It's all Canon. Hmm. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah so, so there were also like little bits of history from all of those buildings too that that get added in like um i'm 99% sure i'm correct on this but now it's been just long enough since i did my research that i could be wrong but uh uh the ansonia which is a you know very similar to the dakota when you think of the dakota that you you pretty much think of the ansonia too but that had a pool in the basement Uh, basically Hmm. a bathhouse and that was plato's retreat which was a very infamous bathhouse in the 70s uh where a lot of people would meet and have all kinds of sex uh and uh so it was like this hedonistic uh uh retreat for people to go to uh this den of iniquity as it were and so uh the detford also has a pool in the basement uh that has since been closed down but like was another sort of tempting thing to lure people to the building um or uh, the rooftop of the uh, of the Deptford uh, was also taken from a some of the nicest rooftops I've ever been to, but also some of the historical uh, famous rooftops uh, like um, forgetting which one it was. It might have been the uh, the Dakota. but I don't think so. I think it was another building, but that had like a farm on the roof uh, where they would like grow crops and stuff like that. So like little mm-hmm. details like that kind of get sprinkled into the Deptford as well because uh, New York is just full of stories like that. Um, in fact, one of like the biggest red flags about the Deptford, um, that that Reed and Anna both kind of ignore is that there aren't that many books written about it. Almost every other famous building in New York has just so many books written about them and and like documentaries filmed at them and, and stuff like that. So you can actually see what it's like inside or, 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 uh, you know, its history of being built and stuff like that. And, uh, the Deptford doesn't, uh, which is which makes it like that much more mysterious and, uh, mm. kind of appealing and tempting.
0: Uh, one more question on the Deptford, then Brenner, Canis, whoever wants to jump in. Um, was after we talked about all this, I- I'm wondering, uh, if you consciously made the Deptford. Kind of the physical representation of pick whatever you want class mm. or high, you know, what is uh aesthetically like perfect mm. but on the inside is not, it's fallen apart, it's rotted, it's probably hollow, full yeah, full of insert monsters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, I'm, wondering, yeah.
0: I'm wondering if you went in, because you come off like the type of writer that's very conscious of that sort of thing
1: oh yeah big time i i love that shit um yeah like the there's a, a big uh important building in mary too and that was very much standing for like consciousness like human consciousness and and uh, life uh so like the crawl spaces were all very metaphorical and whatnot uh and similarly in in nestlings um yeah you you kind of nailed it it's it's um it is class it is even more than class it is belonging there's a a running theme Mm. in nestlings uh that these characters multiple times and usually in different contexts think we don't belong here Mm -hmm. uh and uh you know anna has those thoughts about her wheelchair she has their uh, those thoughts about her uh her motherhood about motherhood i'm sorry i'm sorry to cut
0: you off but like no please um because my like, I've talked about this on the show. My, my wife had a miscarriage. She, she went through, we, we went through fertility. It was like, we we're, we have good communication with each other. So um, that to say, I know how at least some women think during times like that. And it's fucking awful. And there's no judgment that I'm holding yeah. for that. Because I, I will never know what that's like. Um, but it was, this is not the right word. I don't know what word is correct here, but it was nice to read that again. That sounds weird to say in this context. (laughs) I don't know what, for lack of knowing what to say, but, um, that struck me personally, like in Mm. a really like in the core of my heart. And, um, I'm not going to ask you to answer this question, but it feels like that comes from experience and and please don't answer if you don't (laughs) want it. but like, it felt like you were bleeding on the page with a lot. yeah um, i'm not gonna ask a question i'll replace it with a comment a comment again but i felt like for people that haven't read this book it's really fucking compelling like it's really it's really easy to read because it's smooth but it's really fucking hard to read at the same time but that's the kind of shit i like so
2: that's the goal that's great to hear
0: Brennan. take over sir
2: (laughs) Uh, first off, I I cannot let it pass that the, you know, the first time you went to Manhattan with your wife, Pat, uh, that her advice to you mirrored Santa's advice to Will Ferrell in Elf, like, completely.
0: <laughs> well, as soon as we went in the actual city, I had, like, a, a monk um, grabbed my fucking wrist, put a little wristband around it, tried to give me a piece of, like, a book, and... Mm-hmm. I didn't know what he was saying. He tried selling me shit and my wife's tugging me away like get the, you know, well, come on. It's a on good now. thing you
2: had an adult with you.
0: <laughs> the only person that talked to me that was a stranger was another person wearing a Boston hat and I'm like, this makes sense. But I'm not mm. saying everyone in Boston is nice either, but it it made sense. Everyone else ignored Mary. me.
2: All right. Um that <laughs> I want to talk about the uh afterward cuz mm. both this book and and Mary both have extensive afterwords and i got to the end of the book and i i loved it and then the afterward and i loved it even more um for you kind of opening up and just saying here's what i was going through and here's how it impacted the writing um and i also you know i loved the disability representation and how you really made it a point to make it authentic you know that this is not inspiration porn. This mm-hmm. is this is a real person going through hard times and having these flawed thoughts. Um, but my question is, did you wrestle with putting either one of those afterwards in there in the sense that, I'm wondering, did you think, you know, maybe the story should stand on its own, but also maybe I want to give the reader a glimpse into my thought process and how it impacted the story. Was that Mm. a consideration at all?
1: Yeah, um, it was uh, for Mary. Mary was, uh, and thank you, by the way, for for those very kind words, Um, Mary, the forward and afterward, uh, because because why do one when you could do both? Uh, that kind of came. I uh, I wanted to say something in Mary, but I wasn't sure what. Uh, and I I also I love afterwards and story notes and stuff like that. Like, I, I love the behind the curtain sort of stuff. Uh, I know it's it's not for everybody, but, but I always love to read that stuff. It, it also comes from my Stephen King obsession, I'm sure, because uh, he's always been really fun at that sort of stuff. Um, so I knew I wanted to write like something, uh, for Mary. Um, but I don't know that I would have written a forward and an afterward, um, quite like that had it not been for one of our beta readers. Cause I had, a, I, I was, was very much, I, I, me and my editor both really wanted to make sure that Mary, uh, passed through several sensitivity reads. Uh, cause you know, I, I was a. At the time, I was a thirty-nine-year-old cis dude writing about perimenopause, and it was like, let's make sure I'm not uh, showing my entire asshole to the world right now. Yes. Like, let's 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 make sure <laughs> That's there's for a... the afterward. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's let's make sure I'm not being a total ignorant idiot uh, with the things that I'm writing about, uh, especially because Mary is written in first-person present tense. It's very experiential. I wanted to make sure. Uh, that I was portraying something as as authentically as I could uh, from my limited uh, perspective. Uh, and so we had a, a number of uh, of sensitivity readers read it, most of whom I knew, but my editor very smartly also gave it to a couple of people who didn't know me and so didn't have any sort of subconscious desire to see me not fail uh and so they could be as like as as brutally honest as as they wanted uh, to be and you know obviously this was like the book was well into development by this point it was probably the second or third draft uh, full draft of it so it's not like it was like super raw um uh but uh one of those beta readers um came back with some feedback that uh kind of changed the game uh, cause she was like, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I almost put this book down after like 20, 30 pages or something like that, because the, uh, the misogyny in it was, and the self-hatred in it was so omnipresent and it was so tough to get through. Uh, but I didn't put it down because, you know, I, I knew you, she's talking to the editor. I I knew you and I, I knew you would, you wouldn't be vouching for something that you didn't, uh, didn't believe could withstand scrutiny. So I continued to read it. Uh And then after I got to like the midpoint where uh you find out essentially why that tenor is in those first pages, like there is a reason for it. It wasn't accidental or anything like that. It was, it was very purposefully kind of put into that narrative voice. Um Then I loved it. And then like, I, I saw what happened with the ending. Like I, I, I saw the whole reason for it and I really loved it. Um, But there probably will be a lot of people who won't give you that benefit of the doubt, she was telling us. So maybe you should put like some sort of trigger warning or some sort of content warning at the front, just to like let people know that the the misogyny in this book is not an accident. It's not just the case of cis white dude writing (laughs) about womenhood uh, and uh, just kind of thinking that this is okay. Um, And I, you know, for a minute, I I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to, like, that feels like I'm apologizing for this book. Like, I I don't believe in it or like, I, uh, you know, uh, like, feel like I have to warn people about it. Uh, And then that minute quickly passed because I was like, no, actually, let's do more than just like a content warning. Let's do like, let's actually like get into it. Let's say like, here's why that shit is there. And so the the forward is basically leading up to the content warning of saying, like, you know, here's why I wrote this book. And also, FYI, there's going to be some stuff in here that you just got to, like, go with. Like, it, it's there for a purpose. Uh, and then I'll talk about it more in the afterward. And then that brings us to the afterward where, like, I, I got to, like, really go into, like, here's here's here was my thought process. Here's why I, as a dipshit, 39 year old cis white man, uh, wanted to write about menopause in the first place. Um, and so I was incredibly grateful for that feedback because I I love that material so much. I'm very proud of that forward and afterward um, that originally hadn't come with the story uh, and then uh, because that was such a great experience and because there was such uh, really welcoming feedback for the forward and afterward of Mary when it came time to, to write Nestlings I was like well I I there's no doubt like I definitely want to talk about what was going on while I was writing this book and while I was writing Mary um and uh yeah so like definitely wasn't planned for for mary uh but by the time nestlings came along like that was that was something i very much wanted to do and have it planned for the next book uh as well because i really want to talk about my dad and and dads in general and stuff like that um i don't know if i'll do it for every book uh because they might not all be so like the heart on the page um
2: well you've made your bed
1: now you have to yeah exactly like it is kind of a thing that people expect and i'm not mad <laughs> about that like i i really do enjoy as you can tell by my very concise answers i love talking <laughs> about the process i love talking about art i love talking about like what it says about each individual's journey creating art and stuff like that um and i don't so i the the hope is that some people find it illuminating some people find it helpful like other artists and You know, just people who enjoy learning about the process and stuff like that. Um, And uh, I think it also humanizes books, too, because books can be books are so weird. You just pull them off a shelf and you you, you read some symbols on a page and you hallucinate somebody else's dream. Uh, It's weird. It's a weird process. So like having that little bit of of connection between the author and reader, um, I really enjoy that.
2: Yeah, and and I'm, I'm with you. I like the behind the curtain stuff. Um, and, you know, one of the main reasons I asked is I, I have a, uh, a friend who um, wrote a book that is very personal to mm-hmm. them, you know, based on life experience and considered putting in uh, an afterword like that and decided against it. And his reasoning, and I don't know where I would fall on this, but his reasoning was that he didn't want it to feel like review proofing. He didn't want it to, he didn't want people to feel like they couldn't be critical of the art of the work yeah. because they would then be critical of this life experience. Um, and like I said, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that, but it's, it's interesting to think about.
1: Yeah, that's a, it's a valid concern. I mean, I, I can stand as uh, proof positive that not all reviewers take that into consideration. <laughs> uh, they're just as brutal as, as they would be without it. Um, but yeah, no, it, I I get that. Um Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't have any more <laughs> coherent thought to add to that. Um, but I, uh, I guess it also just depends on, um, you know, what sort of personality a writer has. Like I am mm. someone who's very much just like, blah, like I, I, I <laughs> enjoy being an open book and, and just talking about, uh, 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 you know, uncomfortably personal things. Uh, I'm fun at parties, um, <laughs> <laughs> and not everybody is, and that's that's totally valid. Um, there had there had definitely been a moment where I, uh, uh, when I was writing the Mary uh, material, where I was like, oh, maybe this should just be like a blog post or something like that. Maybe this shouldn't come with the book. Um, but ultimately, yeah, <laughs> I guess I'm just a bit of a narcissist enough to be like, let's put this shit in. Let's publish this too. Uh, sh- thank you. S- <laughs> Stephen King's
0: Night Shift was the first King book that I read, and uh, that has all the at least the edition i read has all the uh behind the scenes on Uh like what the story meant i love that
1: me too i used to read that stuff even more frequently than i would read the stories like i would read the stories a ton but sometimes i would pick up a short story collection and just read the notes and like that was enough for me
0: i went back and forth with the uh anthem that i edited this year hot iron cold blood i uh i went back and forth if i should do the afterward because like Mm. part of me was like oh does this come off like um myself forever but i was like it it's an interesting behind the scenes story i like reading it and yeah um luckily the publisher was like yep game on so and
1: then another nice thing to to factor into if you're ever making this decision again too is that uh it's funny like we're literally having this conversation about how intrinsic to the book reading experience these afterwards are to these two books and there are so many times when uh, I have encountered other people who just they just don't read them. Like yeah. and that's fine. You don't have to, you paid for the book. You can read whatever you want. But like I'll I'll still to this day I'll still get like if I post something on TikTok or, or Instagram, like a video or something like that, I'll still get comments from people who are like, wait, I'm just now finding out that Nat Cassidy is a man. And I'm yes. like, well you clearly did not read the foreword and afterward where we discuss this in depth. Uh so yeah, some people just don't read it and that's fine too.
0: Do you get that in, in, like, faced, in-person scenarios? Like Yeah, in...
1: I've got, I've gotten that a couple of times. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think some people... I mean, there is another Nat Cassidy, and she is uh, a woman. <laughs> so I think some people think that Nat is short for Natalie. Uh Which people used to joke about in middle school, too, but it's not true.
0: Gannis, <laughs> you want to follow that one up? <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs>
1: not that there's anything wrong with being named natalie i want to get that clear. <clears throat> Natalie's a natalie woman.
0: portman is a fan of the show so she's gonna see the shit out of it now. Just <laughs> liking-
1: oh, okay. nat on nat violence
0: yeah <laughs> she was she was in star wars she's important Nat.
3: <laughs> so a lot lot of heavy stuff here um mm. and we've gone over a lot of it now Which brings me to my non-heavy question of the night. Because, you know, you said you're fun at parties. And isn't this kind (laughs) of, well, there's more than two of us, so it's a party, right? So, fun stuff. What did you most enjoy about The Nestlings when you were writing it? I know what I enjoyed the most. But what part of it? did you find the most fun as mm. the writer and everything that you put in here, which again, heavy. A <laughs> lot of heavy stuff. But we write because we enjoy it too. And there it, there are fun parts of this story. There, It's a fun entertaining story in spite of the heaviness because this could easily be a creepy ass movie. Like mm, this yes. is... The creep factor is high with this one, and we've not even talked about that. Like, we've talked about all the real-life experiences, but this one is massively creepy. So what did you most like about all the different things that you put in here that just ramped up the whole creep factor of it and made it what it was?
1: Thank you. I love that question. Um, and yeah, I I agree. It is a, a it, it sounds like a heavy book, but there's a lot of of humor and, and entertainment value to it. I I hope, um, I you know, kind of appropriate to uh, our our earlier uh, uh, side conversation. Um, the stuff about Frank was a lot of fun to write because I again have known some Franks in my life, so getting to uh, uh, do certain things. Uh, to those characters uh or to that character was uh was very much fun and all the stuff involving the um the the monster not monsters um especially i mean i've talked about this before so so i don't need to tiptoe around it too delicately but uh uh this book kind of takes certain elements of vampire mythology and and examines them through a jewish lens and being a yeah. jewish horror obsessive um like that was very uh, delightful to do. Like I, I was able to say a lot of things uh, or not even say, uh, say might be the wrong word for it, but I was able to examine a lot of things uh, through that lens in in that sort of way where like as a reader, I've always wanted to see that. Um, so that was very gratifying to like get to do a thing I've always wanted to uh, to experience as a reader um that was that was good fun and those characters are also just uh they were kind of a hoot to spend time with
3: i um am i here yeah because i was on me a minutes. like am yeah. i here am I, back? I see you. um i i actually really i don't want to spoil it but I, i'm gonna go with the ending and what you ultimately revealed hmm. there, <laughs> Creep Factor was high. Yes. <laughs> high. Um,
1: that was also fun. Yeah. I wrote that chapter in an airport, <laughs> <laughs> <Did you? laughs> which just made it so weird to do.
3: It <laughs> loved it. Just everything <laughs> that you took... And that you made it, and then the different little things that factored into what the ending is—is is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone you. needs to make this a movie because I kind of want to see that in real life, but not ever, 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 ever <laughs> want to see that. In real life. <laughs> but maybe on a movie screen. So.
1: <laughs> I agree. Thank you.
3: You're welcome.
1: We're in <laughs> talks.
3: Yes. Good. Good. <laughs> Keep me posted. Want to know?
0: <laughs> I do want to hear from you how it felt to be a part of a discussion about Stephen King's it to have the man listen to the conversation. And I don't know if you read Mary, but I do recall there was a plug for Mary in there. <laughs> um, I'm wondering like, how to feel. Cause he's clearly your biggest inspiration.
1: Yeah. He, um, I mean, we could could get real fucking deep if you want, Uh, because in a way he's almost like a a parental figure. Um, And especially now that like both of my parents are dead, he's one of the last remaining ones, which makes me that much thirstier for any sort of blurb. Um, But uh, uh, it was incredibly uh, entertaining and delightful uh, when he when he posted about that conversation um and you know, fraught too. Like there were plenty of times where I was like, oh fuck, what did I say? Yeah. And yeah. I uh do I need to apologize for anything? Um and I've I've worked with him before. Um worked is maybe uh maybe that sound that's that's too impressive sounding. I worked on a thing that he was doing. <laughs> uh so like I was I that was with cool. him. yeah, it was it was a ton of fun. Um uh, he did a musical with John Mellencamp.
0: Yeah, uh, I I saw that in Boston. Year, oh like yeah, yeah. Ghost brothers, fourteen or fifteen, whatever. Yeah. No wait, two thousand. I don't fuck it, it. Doesn't matter. That was a yeah. great play, man.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I I went into that not being a huge Mellencamp fan and came out of it just being a huge fan. Like, yeah, he, the songs in that are fucking great. Um, Paper and, and fire,
0: John Mellencamp. Sorry, look <laughs> <waking> it up.
1: <laughs> it's a good song. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I I really dig him, and he's a super nice guy. Um, and very short. Um, but, uh, uh, I, uh, helped out on the, like one of the first workshops of that, uh, in like 2005 or 2006, uh, in Manhattan. Um, and I, and I basically, uh, there, there's not even really a name for the role that I did in it. Uh, cause one of my best friends was reading the stage directions, uh, and he managed to just wrote me into the the uh workshop too and basically what i did was i just like sat in the house with king and Mellencamp, and like occasionally they'd be like can you get us a coffee and i'd be like sure thing and i'd go get them a coffee and then uh you know i'd just be privy to talking uh with them or or hearing their conversations and just kind of hanging out uh uh on breaks and stuff like that he took us all out to dinner king did uh at the end which was a fucking trip Hmm. um And my, my main regret is that this was right before, like, we all had cameras on us at all (laughs) times. Yeah. I have have no photos of, of the two of us together or anything Didn't happen then. Yeah. I had, you had to like, have a camera with you. Um, (laughs) and I did not. Um, but, uh, all of which is to say, like, I, I've interacted with him in the past, um, So, uh, the, the podcast experience didn't have like that sort of novelty to it of like him interacting uh, with me for the first time. Um, but I got to see, uh, you know, I got to see Neil who is as big a King fan as I am, uh, you know, ultimately like get to actually have a full fledged conversation with him and a phenomenal conversation with him. It's Mm -hmm. a great interview. Um, and uh you know, I got to see him interact with Ali uh our our other uh, Ali malyanko, who was also the the other panelist on that episode um who's going through a really rough time at that time and like he uh his interacting with her was was this huge uh Boon uh as well so it was just it was beautiful it was what well, I mean it's one of the things I've I've always loved about him is that he's a very personable you know, it's a level of celebrity that like almost doesn't even exist anymore uh, because he was, he's so zeitgeisty and he was so the right person at the right time. Like, yeah. there will probably be un, there'll probably never be another like paperback horror boom like there was in the 70s and 80s. So to have a writer of that level of popularity, like a lot of things would have to align for that to happen. Um, so it might never it's like it's one of the reasons why we'll never have like another The Beatles again. Uh, or Tom Brady, just saying. Or Tom Brady, sure. Uh, he is a soccer player, correct? Nailed um, it. Ah, I know. Who Tom Brady is. I'm watching my fantasy football score as we as we converse, and it's not going well. Oh boy! Um, uh, but yeah, so like uh, the fact that he like still gives back to you know the the scene that made him in the community that uh, that idolizes him and stuff like that. It's he's he's a, he's a wonderful human being. Um, so yeah, it was it was amazing. It was lovely, uh, and I really hope he reads one of my one of my books. We've sent him so many copies. Come on, Steve, <laughs> I would love that, man. I'd be very happy for you,
0: uh, yeah. Brennan. You want to want to uh, bring us to the next section, sir?
2: Uh, final thoughts. Yeah. All right, let's do final thoughts, Mister Cassidy. Final thoughts.
1: Hmm. Well, it's been a lovely chat. I feel like we could we could keep going all night. Um, final thoughts. I don't. This has been a fucking time. Um, everything is really rough right now, yeah. um, especially on social media. And it's it's like I was literally finishing up the draft of my next book um, for for most of the weekend, and and I've already been like weaning myself off of of Twitter and social media in general lately because it's just been so toxic and and upsetting. Um, but like, I feel like I even just missed like some some uh some bad events or some some drama or whatever you want to call it just in the past few days and it just seems like everyone is really on edge and everyone is 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 uh you know uh saying things that uh that are very heated and and uh you know feeling very passionately about things that is that is causing the dialogue to uh uh, to bounce off of uh itself in in very um i don't know unpleasant and unpleasant is even the wrong word but you know in in ways that are that are uh really difficult for people and all of which is to say like i hope everybody is is taking care of themselves um and and taking some time to like get offline and uh uh you know instead of like just posting about things or or reading things that are so fucking upsetting like going and like doing a thing that actually brings them joy or peace or you know uh you know addresses the issues within the world that they think need addressing instead of just like reading these fucking feeds that just make us feel perpetually worse and worse and worse um i hope everybody that's my final thought is i hope everybody is taking care of themselves (laughs) because we really need it like you know these these sort of situations uh can make it very easy to vilify each other uh and to forget each other's humanity and so we got to we got to remember everybody else's humanity and also our own, which is I feel like it's something I've said already. So I'm repeating myself uh, even on other podcasts, but I I I feel it genuinely um, and I mean it. So, uh, yeah, there's my long rambly final thought.
2: Well said. And, you know, I, I think it's important to remember that if you do need to find yourself scrolling to remember that the people you're talking to are in fact people Hmm. and should be treated as such (laughs) patrick final thoughts
0: i just i know just like candace and brennan been looking forward to talking to you love your writing really appreciate the conversation you're (laughs) you're really you're like a natural at this like we talked to a lot of people all great to talk to but uh it's really interesting kind of like just Seeing you at what what I imagine you'd be like at work. You're just really easy <laughs> to bring in, bring everyone into the conversation. uh really interesting. And also, I'm surprised Brennan did not mention I think that's a guitar and not a bass. Uh is that an electric guitar?
1: That's a bass. Oh, damn it. That's a that's a guitar. No, yeah, I was no. gonna ask, is that no, a bass or is that a cello? In in no, that's a bass. I thought so. Bass. I fucking it's love uh, an a, upright bass. A,
2: it's an acoustic, sorry, not acoustic. It's an electric upright Ooh. so that it would fit oh. in my little Saturn when I was driving it to school every day.
1: <laughs> one of, that's one of my favorite instrument sounds is an upright bass.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I like <laughs> banjos and drums.
1: Banjos are great. And harmonicas. Drums are great. Harmonicas are great.
0: Yeah. Music's I awesome.
1: Everything's great. It's all I good. Gotta, just right over there, there's a, there's a dulcimer, there's a mandolin. There's no banjo yet. I don't have a banjo, but I would like to get a banjo.
0: I just I days. love the way it sounds, and <laughs> when you incorporate it into music that you wouldn't expect it in, mm-hmm. rock and roll in Hell particular, yeah. heavy metal, it's fucking great. Yeah. his final thoughts.
3: Um, I now want to use a banjo within rap music, so I don't know what that says about me. But uh, you know,
0: that's a thing too. It's awesome.
3: Hell the yeah. Side um anyway final thoughts this has been great um looking forward to whatever you do next and of course having you back on because I do feel like we could have spent another hour and a half easy tonight um so this has been really great we appreciate you and your time here as well so thank you
1: Thank you. The feeling is very much mutual. I've been looking forward to this since we set it up, which feels like it was like months ago at this point. I,
0: I don't even remember when it was. A while. <laughs> it was a while, but thank you for being patient. Brennan, final thoughts.
2: Final thoughts are that people who are looking for good representation of banjo and rock and roll should listen to waiting on my deathbed by Maylene and the sons of disaster. Ooh. Fabulous electric banjo lead. Um, beyond that, Nat, it's been great to talk to you. Um, <laughs> like I said, been looking uh, forward to it for a while. I loved Mary. I was so pleased to get my hands on an early copy of Nestlings as well. And I absolutely cannot wait to see what you've got in store. Can you give us any hints uh, besides, you know, you gave us kind of the overlying theme of the next one? Can you tell us anything else about it?
1: Yeah. Um. I have, uh, hmm, hmm. What what should I say and what shouldn't I say? Uh, <laughs> I will I will tell you this much: um, the comps are it meets Terminator Two, meets Twilight Zone, meets Firestarter. The fuck. Um, <laughs> Give me <a> it. <laughs> <laughs> so you already know exactly what it is just from that. Really? Um, if. If Mary was my homage to, like, unreliable narrators and, you know, a little bit of, like, 80s, 90s horror unpredictability and surreality and ghost story nonsense and whatnot. Um, And also Giallo and J-horror. Those were also elements of Mary that I don't talk about that much. Uh, But we're very much in there. Um, And if Nestlings was my homage to, like, you know, Ira Levin and, and Salem's Lot and kind of 70s paranoiac. Uh, sort of uh, thrillers uh, this next book is very much my homage to uh, airport thrillers like I wanted to almost uh, I w- I've been very gratified by the reception that Mary and Nestlings have both gotten a hundred percent so so when I say this this is not me whinging or complaining at all but if there have ever been complaints about Mary or Nestlings, it's been some people thinking that they like they're too slow burn or like, uh, you know, they take too long to go crazy. So this next book was me like very much being like, all right, you want a fucking action? Pad? Yeah. We're getting an action pad book. So it's just set piece after set piece. Uh, it's just it literally is uh, borrowing a, a structure from Terminator 2 of just like balls to the wall, pedal to the metal. Uh, action uh, horror um, with a twist. It's still very much a book that I would write. Um, so if you like Nestlings and you like Mary, like, I, I, I'm i very excited for people to read this book. Uh, but those are those were the thoughts going into it. I wanted it to be uh, much more like adrenaline-fueled. It's like 88,000 words. It's just streamlined, no muss, no fuss, uh, and a massive body count.
2: Oh, that sounds fucking <laughs>
1: fabulous, man. I am... I'm lining up. April 2025, it comes out. Because publishing. Oh, sign us takes up. A for that. oh, that's,
2: that's too long. I I need
0: a <laughs> Sounds like you're coming back on season six. Very good, sir.
1: I'd um, be honored.
0: Awesome. Uh, next episode is with Krista Carmen. We're going to talk about her upcoming book. Well, not upcoming, it's out now. Um, and as always, you have many podcasts to from. Thank you for picking us.